Mark chapter 8 and verse number 36. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Mark chapter 4, verse 41. What kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? What? What does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly? What? In the Old Testament, there's a great story. And in that great story, uh, we're going to be introduced to an, another interesting question. But let me tell you the story first. His name was Joseph. Joseph was a family of 12 brothers, one of the young, young siblings, only had one younger brother. And he was a dreamer, and he kept having dreams about what a great guy he was going to be and what huge influence he was going to have. And, and that's one thing when God speaks to you and shows you something. Uh, embrace it, get excited about it. But let me save you some problems tonight. Don't tell everybody about how great you're going to be. Joseph kept telling his brothers, I'm going to be a great one. I'm going to be a great guy. You, all of you are going to bow down before me. And his brothers got a little sick of it. And they took him to the back 40 one day and they sold him to the Egyptians to be a slave. But when God has a plan, God's plan always happens. And God's plan was for Joseph to be great and to be a great leader. And he rose to be second in charge. And in Egypt, in that process, famine came. Famine struck the land, and uh, famine struck where Joseph's brothers were living and where Joseph's dad was living. And everybody knew the only place in the world that still had food was Egypt. So they all hopped in their carriages and made their way to Egypt and begged for some food. Joseph was second in charge, and he was the one in charge of getting them food. And... They didn't recognize him. I was at my dad's funeral yesterday, and some people think I've changed in 45 years. Can you imagine? Didn't recognize me. 22 years these guys had been apart. Nobody recognized their brother. Their brother said to Pharaoh, who was the leader of Egypt, why don't you go meet my brothers? I want you to notice the question he asked them. In Genesis chapter 47 and verse number 3, Pharaoh said to his brothers, What? What? What is your occupation? The more things change, the more things never change. This was 4,000 years ago. <laughs> And when they're introducing each other and making conversation at the start, they, what question do they get to real quick? What, what's your occupation? What do you do for a living? Where do you work? What? Things change, but things really don't change that much. What is your occupation? 
Interestingly, that question there, what is your occupation, if we do a little word study here, is just one word. It's just a word in the Hebrew language. And, and the word is mahasai, mahasai. And, and it means, what is your occupation? The biblical usage of this word is, what is your work? What is your pursuit? What are you undertaking to accomplish with your life? What, what are you trying to achieve? What is your achievement? What? What? Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Can you imagine it? They lost Jesus. He's 12 years of age, and they finally find him, and they talk to him, a good talking to him, and say, why did you disappear on us? Why aren't you sticking close to us? Come on, Jesus. And Jesus' response was, don't you wish I was about my father's business? Jesus had work to do. Jesus was occupied with something. He knew there was something he was supposed to be achieving. I want to talk tonight about what Jesus came to the earth to do. What Jesus came to the earth to do. All kinds of statements in scripture. Uh, but one of them about what Jesus came to do, but one of them came right out of the Lord's mouth. He, he says, I, I, know, I know what I'm here for. I know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And the statement happened in the little city of Jericho. Happened one week before the Lord was to be cruelly crucified. Jericho is 10 miles northeast of Jerusalem. In Israel, it's called the City of Palms. The City of Palms. It's lush with vegetation. It is kind of the winter getaway. It's where you go to get away from the cool of Jerusalem in winter. The winter vacation spot. Josephus, in his writing about Jericho, calls it Little Paradise. And it's a border city, and to get through Jericho, you had to pay some taxes. That's the city that Jesus tells us what he came to do. Let me share the verse with you. What did Jesus come for? Luke 19 and verse number 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What did Jesus come to do? What? What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So he's entering the city of Palms, this winter paradise. 
this lush paradise in the middle of the desert. And there's a man who lives there whose name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is described in your Bible as being small in stature. Now, the average person, male in that part of the world, that part of history, was about five foot two. So he was little of stature. He was really little if they're looking at him and saying, this guy's wee. Well, he's a wee little guy. And he hears that Jesus is coming, and he seems to be making his way through the city of Jericho. And, and Zacchaeus says, I think I know where he's going. And he runs ahead, and because he's so wee, so little, so small a stature, he can't see unless he figures out how to get up above the crowd. And he climbs a sycamore tree. Jesus is walking through the streets, palm trees everywhere. And he comes to where Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus has climbed up on this sycamore tree. Sycamore trees grow out like this. They're easy to climb. He's above the crowd. And uh, he says this to Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And verse number five. Jesus came to the place. He looked up. Jesus seeks, looks for, came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus looks up and says to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus's house. I think we have all heard the verse before, Luke 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I think we've all heard it. We've all heard it many, many times. But we tend to, I think, think of it as a broad statement, uh, a broad, big statement. God so loved the world, thank you Paul, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but shall have everlasting. And we got this broad understanding that God came to seek and to save the lost. But I want us to get a picture in our hearts tonight that Jesus' plan is much more personal and particular than that. Jesus didn't just come to save the world. He did. But he knew the way you saved the world was one person at a time. And he's walking through Jericho, and he sees this guy, Zacchaeus, up in the branch of a sycamore tree, and he says, hey, I'm going to have lunch with you. I'm going to come spend some time at your house. Well, strangely, the crowd didn't like that. 
We read in Luke 19 and verse number 7, when they saw that Jesus was going over to Zacchaeus' house, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> Jesus says he's righteous? And he's going to go hang out with a sinner? They didn't get the mission at all. They didn't get the purpose at all. I remember, because I've been raised in this stuff, and we've kind of been proud of being a holiness movement, and, and I remember getting a call from a guy who said, I really want to talk to you. I says, okay, where can he meet? And he said, I'm at the bar. I can't go there. I'm a Christian. Sinners go to the bar. Jesus can't be who he says he is. He's going to hang out with a sinner. Didn't get what he was there for at all. And it's in that context that Jesus makes this powerful statement. The Son of Man came to came to seek and save the, the lost. Going to a sinner's house? What? Christians go to Bible studies. No, no, nothing wrong with Bible studies. Nothing wrong with Bible studies. But Jesus' mission wasn't to lead Bible studies. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. I fear that sometimes when we think about Jesus, we've taken this, this mission of the Lord and we've limited it to some broad philosophical statement. Yes, Jesus came to save the world, but Jesus came to save the world in a personal and particular way, one person at a time. Luke chapter 15, one of the most powerful chapters of scripture in many people's judgments begins with uh, these interesting two verses Luke 15 1 and 2 now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats they didn't like the fact that Jesus spent time with sinners. What? They didn't get the mission. Jesus came to seek and save the, the lost. And so we got the same problem four chapters earlier. They're grumbling when he goes to spend time with this terrible sinner, Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 15, they're grumbling because Jesus 
eats with sinners. So Jesus begins a parable. And the first parable he talks is in verses 3 to 7 of Luke chapter 15. Most of you know the story. It's the story of the lost sheep. One shepherd had a hundred sheep and he went out to count them one night to see if they were all where they're supposed to be. One, two, three, four, five, six, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 90, 90. One, two, three, four, ninety-six, ninety-seven, ninety-eight, and there was one missing. There was one missing. And Jesus took all of his efforts put all of his energy into finding the one, the shepherd went and put all of his energy into finding the one lost sheep. This is not some grand philosophical statement that we write into our statements of faith as churches. This is the mission of Jesus. He seeks and saves the lost one at a time. You can have 99 people in your church or 999, but there's still one room for one more. Personal, particular, individual mission. And then he tells the parable of the lost coin, and there's 10 silver coins at least. The lady was pretty sure there were ten, and she went to count her coins, and seven, eight, nine, and one coin is missing. And what does she do? She sweeps the house. She lights a lamp until she finds the lost coin. One person at a time, Jesus is walking through the palm street, palm-lined streets of Jericho, and there's a man up in a branch on a sycamore tree. Many of us would find it easy to walk past them thinking, what kind of a nutcase is that up on a tree? One person at a time, Jesus says, come with me. Zacchaeus, come quickly. I'm heading over to your house. And then the story, so we, you got 99, but one is missing, you chase. You got 10, and one is missing, you chase. And then you get to the story, the end of Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And there's one lost son, and dad's glad he's got a son back home, but what's he doing every night, every morning? He's getting to the top of the hill that overlooks his property, and he's looking and looking and looking for the lost son. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. 
And the church of the 21st century doesn't look unto the lost as much as we should. We count the people who are here. One, two, three, 200, 300, whatever. And we're all excited. And there are tens of thousands upon tens of thousands that are lost. That doesn't matter because we've got 300, 400, whatever. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. What? What was his mission? He says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So we drove out to Calgary on Monday and uh, went to the funeral home to arrange dad's memorial service. And Tuesday, we uh, went to empty dad's suite. I wore my favorite shirt to empty the suite. And somehow in the process, my sisters found one of dad's shirts and said, boy, that'll look good on you. So I took off what really was my favorite golf shirt. And I put on dad's shirt and it fit, so I said, I'll keep it. And I put my white golf shirt that I loved. I loved it because I liked the look of it. I loved it because it was a present from my wife. And I loved it because she told me nobody in their right mind should ever spend that much on a shirt. So I felt special when I had it on. The crew that helped clean out the suite took the shirt, my white golf shirt, to the wind store, Women in Need. I lost my shirt this week. So sad. My wife doesn't take loss easily. She went to the wind store to find my shirt. Didn't find it. Went back to where my dad lived. Couldn't find it. The shirt was lost. But she put all kinds of energy in finding it. Wish the story had a good ending. Doesn't. Jesus came to seek and save the the lost. After the uh, services, of most of our traditions are my dad's service on Friday, yesterday. We ate sweets and fruit together and drank coffee and juice and tea and 
man came up to me. His name is Neil. Neil's a pastor. Not often I feel small in this world, but when I'm with Neil, I feel really kind of like Zacchaeus, a wee little man. He's a big, tall guy. And in the course of the conversation, he thanked me for uh, sharing about dad during the service. He said, I've eulogized my dad now three times. I eulogized him when he turned 70, and I eulogized him when he turned 80, and I eulogized him when he turned 90. I'm not going to have anything left to say when he's gone. And then he said this to me, Dad only got saved when he was 56 years of age. He said he woke up that day, and he heard the audible voice of God saying to him, I'll call him Steve. Steve, you need to get saved today. Steve, you need to get saved today. Jesus is still seeking, looking for people who are lost. And Neil's dad gave his life to the Lord at the age of 56. I was eight years of age, sitting on a, a ledge my dad had built in the fireplace in the family home I grew up in in Calgary. And there was youth meeting in our house because we didn't have a church yet. About 25 teenagers crammed into the living room. Mom and Dad let me go as long as I kept my mouth shut. So I kept my mouth shut and sat quietly on the ledge of the fireplace. And in the middle of that youth meeting, that Friday night, and this astonishes me that I even understood the language, let alone I responded to it. The Holy Spirit said to me, John, you need to be saved. John, you need to, and he wouldn't stop. John, you need to be saved. It wasn't anything to do with what was happening in the service. God that night came and sought me out. And I ran out of that living room crying. <laughs> and went into my bedroom and knelt and sobbed and mom joined me and led me in a prayer of acceptance and confession. What? What did Jesus come to do? It's not just a broad philosophical thing, my friends. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. One person at a time. One person at a time. That's the mission of Jesus. That's what he came to do. I'm sure I won't fit Dad into every sermon for the next two years, but forgive me if I tell you one more story. Dad was 
into retirement already and had replanted a church in Carmen, Alberta, and it was thriving when everybody said it was going to die. And he felt God calling him to Albania. Albania was a communist country filled with Muslims. And he figured out how to get to Albania, went to Albania, found a place to live, mom was with him. And then he began to wander the streets and uh, we can put the picture up, he found an interpreter. (laughs) Because dad couldn't talk the language. But he found somebody who could talk English. He says, can I hire you to follow me around for the next few months? Tell the people what I'm saying. And then he found a place to meet. And one by one, Muslim people in Albania came to Christ. Dad got a note a couple of years ago from the man who now leads the ministry in Albania, and he said, Reuben, we want you to know that we get it and we understand that there'd be no ministry in Albania right now if it hadn't been for you. Everybody else said, retire, take it easy, Reuben. You've been going so hard for so long. Enjoy your retirement. Dad goes across the ocean to a Muslim community, rents an apartment, hires an interpreter, and tells people about Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save them that are lost. The pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, tells the story of a young mom named Helen showing, Janet, of a young mom named Janet showing up at church. Two little boys. She uh, dropped her boys off in the church nursery and went in service. First time in Probably more than a decade she'd come to church. She just woke up and wanted to go to church. Sat in the service, and after the service, she walked upstairs to the nursery to pick up her boys, and the nursery supervisor said, can I chat with you just for a minute? She said, "Uh, your boys really had some problems this morning. They beat up almost every single little guy in our nursery. And they broke a bunch of our toys. When Janet had heard how her kids had behaved, her two little preschool boys, 
she began to scold them at the top of her lungs. And she said, we're not going to put up boys with this kind of expletive-deletive behavior in the church. And she's yelling at the top of her lungs. And in embarrassment, she, Janet takes her two boys. out of the church and the pastor heard the story and was pretty sure they'd never see Janet ever, ever, ever again. One of the nursery workers that day had heard what had happened and she'd heard Janet lose it. And she phoned the pastor and said, did we get any information about that lady, do we have a name, do we have a contact number? Pastor looked through the records and said, yeah, her name is Janet. Here's how you can get a hold of her. And this nursery worker wrote Janet a note. And she said, it was so good to have you in church this week. And I loved how authentic you were in explaining how you felt about how your kids had behaved. You're one brave lady saying that word in a church. Any chance we could get together and get to know each other a bit better? And Janet got back to that nursery worker. And that nursery worker loved on Janet. And Janet came back the next Sunday. And the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and gave her life to Jesus. and eventually became the director of the nursery ministries of that good-sized church. And she'd come to church for the first time that first Sunday morning when her kids were so poorly behaved. She was just beginning the journey of recovering from a heroin addiction. That story could have ended so much differently. But there was somebody in that church who got it, who understood that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus seeks out, looks out for, loves people that others can't love. That's our Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Religious people will grumble about that and say, what are you hanging out with people like that for? I tell you, the people you're criticizing are often the people who have the heart of God the most. 
Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's not a broad philosophical statement. That's loving people one person at a time. That's noticing the person up on the branch of the sycamore tree. That's noticing the person who comes to church and ends up swearing louder than they should and not rejecting them, but reaching your heart out with them and giving them a hug and holding them close. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. That's what he came to do. Let's stand and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about the Jesus we serve and what he's done for us.